Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. chapter 5. You'll find that on page 1003 of the Pew Bibles, and if you're using a large print Bible, that's page 1190. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting from verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings and of the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit's and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and through patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure 
and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 5. Now, as we start, let's, let's talk roller coasters, okay? Now, for, for some of you, this word brings uh, utter fear. Um, for others of you, it's uh, joy uh, and, and excitement. I don't know which uh, you are. I don't know if you've experienced, you know, the ups and downs of, of roller coasters, the slow bits, the fast bits, uh, the, the, the big thrills. I think one that sticks in my mind is a, is a vertical drop where it just kind of hangs you over the edge, and then it goes... Um, but, uh, you know, they, they kind of have these twists and turns and ups uh, and downs, and I feel like sometimes our, our lives, our Christian lives, can feel a lot like them. Um, there, there are hard bits, easy bits, ups, downs, good, uh, and tough. But the, the writer to the Hebrews wants, he wants to help us in the midst of all that kind of experience. Even in the lows, even in the difficult bits. He wants us to help us to keep going. And it's, it's because he wants us to get to the final destination. He wants us to get to be with God in the better heavenly country forever. That's where we, we, we want to be, isn't it? With God in rest. Something we've thought about. Rest from sorrow and sin. Rest from death and pain. Rest blossoming into joy. But with, with all the twists and turns of life, we need help. We need help. So in this uh, passage this evening, uh, the writer, he tells us kind of two stories. Two stories of of two types of traveler, or maybe let's think of it like a race, two types of competitor, two runners. And he's a great coach, so he shows us one example we don't want to follow, the runner who doesn't make it. And he shows us another that we do want to follow, the finisher. And it's right there in our passage. If you just go near the end, 6 verses 11 and 12, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Why? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Do you see the goal at the end of it all? To be like others who've inherited the promises. To follow their example, imitate them, and get to the finish. It's like he's showing us two old race videos. One race where it goes horribly wrong, and the other where someone slogs away and makes it to the finish line to receive the great prize of being with God forever. Because the, the writer knows a true Christian is not one who just starts well, but one who, who finishes well. So he's asking us, which one are you going to be? Are you going to be the one who finishes or the one who falls? Now, why is he doing this? Because he knows he needs to actually speak quite frankly with his audience. He needs to talk about their progress. We all know this kind of speech. Our teachers give it, our parents, our sports coach. It's the progress report. 
It's not the actual teaching or instructing or the coaching. It's getting us to kind of look under the bonnet of our faith, a bit of, a bit of self-analysis. Because the writer, he's wanting to teach them some, some rich theology about Jesus. And about Jesus being like a guy called Melchizedek. Um, he mentioned it just before this passage in 5 verse 10. Uh, and he, he, he dropped it in at the end of this passage. And, and he's going to come on to it in chapter 7. We'll come back to it next week. But he needs just to have this heart to heart on their progress. And he's got positive things to say about these guys. But he's also seen some worrying signs. Now we'll get to the positives later on in the passage. You know, these guys are serving, they're sharing, they're showing love. He feels sure of better things, but it's not all rosy. Because first there are worrying signs. Worrying signs. Turn back to 5.11. About this, that is Jesus being like Melchizedek, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Wow, that's got a kind of different feel to it, doesn't it? The coach has got some serious words. Not to, to beat them up about it. Remember his aim, he wants them to succeed, to finish. But there are worrying signs. It's like he's beginning to see cracks in the wall of their faith, this beautiful white wall that's being built, but there are some breaks in the plasterwork, a bit of splintering. And the question is, are these cracks just surface or do they go deep? Is this just a small repair job or is the whole wall coming down? Because the problem is there in verse 11, they've become dull of hearing. Well, this word dull is actually translated just uh, later on in the passage as, as sluggish. They're lazy in hearing. You know, it's like a sports car rolling along at two miles an hour or an athlete dragging their feet. And you can just see the pace has slowed, verse 12. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. They're going so slowly, they're actually moving backwards, not forwards. They're like a growing person who still only drinks milk, he says. Now, we all know babies need milk. You know, milk's so good. It's, it's good for babies. They love it. It's all they drink, and it's all they need to drink. But as they grow, then they start to take on solids. You know, perhaps a bit of some pear or apple mush, and then some mints and pasta cups, small, and then finally they're on a full diet, you know, big chunks of steak and whole potatoes. They're not these guys. They've never moved off their milk. Incredible food awaits them, you know, glorious curries and full roast dinners, but they're just on the milk. This phrase, basic principles, it's used elsewhere of learning the alphabet. These guys should be reading and enjoying the wonders of Shakespeare, and yet they're still content with just doing their ABCs. They're immature, they're acting like children, and so needing to be treated like children. They've, they've been given the basics of the gospel. We see it there in verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 6. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. You know, that's how someone uh, becomes a Christian. Then there's instruction about washing and the laying on of hands. That's probably referring to, to their baptisms and what it means. And then the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Again, it's the, the core hope of what they're living for. It's the ABCs of faith. It's the foundation. And they've never moved on. But that's what they really need to do. Not just to keep laying the foundation again and again, but to build on it. To actually let a beautiful building grow up from the foundation. You know, it's like they're paddling at the edge of the sea and he wants them to go deeper. But how do they learn to swim in deeper water? 
They've just got to go slowly deeper and try and swim. But these guys are just staying paddling. You know, the Christian faith, it is, it is so simple a child can understand it, isn't it? The gospel, it is wonderfully uncomplicated. Jesus Christ has died for our sins, has risen from the dead and is coming back. We need to turn to him and trust in him. Now, we don't move away from that simplicity, but like a builder, you know, he doesn't build on a different foundation, but we do build. There are glories to the gospel. There are deep wonders like hidden jewels found in the depths. Like, like starting to understand, I don't know, Jesus is the word of God. Or, or opening up Jesus, thinking about him as prophet, priest, and king. Or thinking about the cross and what happened when Jesus died there. Or the, the wonder of, of Jesus' perfect living. That's what the writer wants us to be considering. To see the wonders of who Jesus is and what he's done for us in more and more technicolor. You know, think back to that idea of Christianity being a race. Now, it's not a race to, to beat others, but it's a race to finish. And it's as if we've, we've got a pace setter, you know, someone who, who kind of helps you judge your speed. And, it, and it's Jesus, and he sets off with us. And at the start, he goes slowly, he gives us the basics, he, he lets us learn our ABCs, but he doesn't start slow to let us stay slow. He wants us to build the pace. He wants us to start to see more and more of the glories of who he is. But as, as the pace begins to increase, now not in a bad way, in a way that means we get to know Jesus better, but as it, as it should have increased, what are they doing? Well, they're sticking to the slow pace. And the, the writer's worried about them. These are worrying signs to their faith. They seem to be dull and lazy. And perhaps you've seen those signs in yourself or in others You know, all I need is the simple gospel, just that, you know, like that children's song is all I need. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, sure, if we have to split hairs about who Jesus is, then then yes, he's he's got a man, but we don't need to talk about that. Let's just, you know, read our Bible simply and leave that wrangling over details to the theologians. You know, there's there's a contentedness just to stay in the shallows, to stay with milk, just to lay the foundation again and again now for some of us it's not that we don't like thinking we love to think about other things you know we we know all about the most up-to-date psychology and workflow thinking you love your life coaches and your meditation techniques but jesus you perhaps your understanding of him hasn't changed since you were at sunday school and it's interesting here that the issue is this phrase dull of hearing this laziness sluggishness because moving to maturity it can take hard work, take effort. You know, learning to swim a bit deeper is hard. Perhaps it's a fear for you, a fear of finding it hard. You've, you've just started to dip your toe into thinking about Jesus more and you're, you're worried you're not going to understand or you're going to get stuck. Or, or perhaps it's just that simplicity feels safer. You don't want what you believe to be, to be rocked in any way. But the thing is, for the writer to the Hebrews... And to God, these are worrying signs. They're worrying signs. But but what's the big deal, you may be thinking? You know, does it really matter? Why are they worrying? You know, surely milk still provides nutrients. Well, the thing is, there's a warning. There's a warning about worrying signs. And here's our first kind of old videotape of a race that didn't go well. And it's a video that shows the worrying signs can have devastating results. And we see this from verse 4. 
For it's impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, he's seen the cracks. And the thing is, actually, cracks in the wall can mean, can mean it's about to fall down. The worrying signs in the life of a Christian can be devastating. Verse 6, the person can fall away. And that's not talking about a temporary fall. But it's to never make it to the promised land. It's to die in the wilderness. It's to face the wrath of God's. You see it in verse 8. What happens to the land that produces bad fruit? Its end is cursing and burning. The signs of God's wrath. Now falling away. It's the, it's the slow, but it's the wholesale, complete turning away from God. He's not talking here about our ups and downs of our faith in our Christian life on the roller coaster. This person here is, he's experienced the good things from God. You may have noticed that. They've seen the light of the gospel. They've, they've shared in the Holy Spirit's work, perhaps in convicting them. They've, they've even seen wonders of the word of God and seen God at work in miraculous ways, but they've turned their back on it completely. They've seen it and then utterly renounced God's grace. A total defection. They hate God. Now this doesn't happen in just one day. One commentator puts it like this. He said, we slip down gradually until at last we fall headlong. Back with the runner kind of picture. It's the runner who, who sets off, but rather than following the pace setter, you know, she slowly but surely starts to wander from the path and keeps wandering away from the race towards a cliff edge. And actually, even when warns doesn't want to turn back. You know, perhaps we've seen this. And friends or family, a friend who, who once said they were Christian, but slowly, slowly moved tragically towards the edges until they never wanted to come back. They heard warnings. And they might have even said, well, I, I prayed a prayer to Jesus once when I was 10. I, I'm going to be fine. Or I grew up in a Christian home. I'll, I'll keep with Jesus. You know, they start... Like they're in the race, but end up turning their back on it all. Jesus, no thanks. God's word, a load of rubbish. What's the problem with staying in the shallows? With only sticking with our ABCs? Well, it's the fact that it may be a sign that you're slowly abandoning Jesus. As the pace setter runs ahead, you actually stop looking at them. You get distracted by things along the way and slowly fade from view. Not being willing to consider Jesus more and more. It might be a worrying sign of a slow walk to the cliff edge. It's like Jesus' parable of the sower. If you remember, he talks about the corn that shoots up. But the cares of the world, the temptations of life, slowly strangles it and it dies. It's a warning. It's a warning about worrying signs. Now... It's important we think about this. Does this mean true Christians can lose their salvation? Some of us are thinking, can, can God save us one minute and then take it away? Well, the simple answer to that is no. No, if you're a Christian, don't think God's going to suddenly desert you. 
We're going to see how trustworthy God's promises are in a, in a moment. God saves completely, beginning to end, and those he saves keep going to the end. Those God saves will inherit the promises. Now, these verses instead are describing someone who's been part of church life, even experienced and seen some of the blessings of the gospel, but actually have never been saved. You know, someone on the outside who's a bit of part of church life can see some of the truth of the gospel, can't they? Verse 4, they can be enlightened. And and perhaps they can experience the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, that, that phrase of sharing in the Spirit. They might have read their Bible and realized it's, it's truth and goodness in a way. But, but these are things people in church life can experience and not be saved. Just to really show this, have a look at verse 9. The writer says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So what's this? The, the better things... They belong uh, to salvation. But they're better than what? Well, they're better than the things, amongst other things, the things listed in verse 4 and 5, being enlightened, sharing in the Holy Spirit. So those other things, they were good, but they didn't necessarily belong to salvation. You can have them, but never have Jesus. So that means just being part of church life isn't a guarantee of salvation. It's, it's how you keep going to the end that matters. The writer to the Hebrews has already shown the mark of a true Christian. And it's in 3 verse 14 if you want to turn back. He says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, that is the person who has shared in Christ, the true Christian. How do we see it? They persevere to the end. They keep going. The true Christian perseveres. It's how they finish. But if they fall away, if they experience these good things, but then wholesale turn their back on God and say, no thanks, then they're showing they were never those who shared in Christ in the first place. They were always the the bad soil in verse 8 rather than the the soil that had been redeemed by Jesus to bear good fruit. It's like starting out on our race with loads of people but not actually knowing if they've officially signed up for it. But we know at the finish because the signed up ones get there. Those who don't finish, we, we find out they were never signed up for it in the first place. At the beginning of the race when the pace was slow, everyone looked like they were in it. But it's the call to go faster, to go deeper, Cain, you start to see who's in and who's out. So Christians know you, we, you cannot fall away. If Christians are signed up, they'll finish. If they're united to Jesus, he will bring them to inherit the pro- promises. As Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So the question is, well, why this warning then? If Christians can't fall away, why has the writer told us this? It's because there are are two sides to salvation. One side is Jesus working in our hearts, but that's shown on the other side in our keeping going, our perseverance. So from our perspective, we need a warning. 
We need a warning sign to keep us going. We need a warning to get rid of our laziness, to get us to move from our ADCs, to keep up with our pace setter, to seek Jesus more and more. We need to know there's a cliff edge so we don't go anywhere near it. We don't wander towards it. We're being shown the video of what goes wrong. And at the moment, some of those listening to this letter, you know, they were like, like the one who, who falls, not the one who finishes. Their, their slower pace looked as if they weren't going to make it. Because it's possible. It's possible for someone to taste all that is good. To know much of God's truth and yet throw it away. To experience the Holy Spirit somehow and yet turn their back on him. To, to see the goodness of God's word and end up hating reading it. Even see and experience God's power and actually never, ever head to Jesus as their savior. Do you know what these worrying signs could lead to? Have you seen them appearing in your own faith? The apathy and just knowing Jesus, not wanting to spend time with him, to consider him more. Well, if so, take action. Don't let this be you. Pull out of the tailspin. May it, may it, um, just be a, a down bit in a sense on the roller coaster rides. Because here is the warning, a warning about worrying signs. But the temptation is just to sit, sit worrying. Well, is that me? Am I the one falling away? Um, well, the writer, he's got a second thing for us. He, he wants to refocus us. He wants to encourage us. If that was the warning of worrying signs, he wants us to progress with the positive signs. To progress with the positive signs. Often when we, we hear a warning, we can kind of turn into a bit of a headless chicken. We kind of run around in panic. But the writer won't let us do that. He wants us to move forward. Move forward with strong steps toward the finish line. Yes, there's a warning. But he shows us a way forward. And he, firstly, he says, see the positives. Verse 9. We feel sure of better things. Now, what are those better things? Well, firstly, he talks about their love for the saints. And then also in verse 11, they have signs of hope and faith and patience too. Here we're seeing the, the fruit of a saved soul, the fruit of good soil, soil that's united to Jesus, positive signs, spot them in, in our lives. Because what does he want for them? Progress, progress in these positive signs, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He wants them to show the same earnestness. Earnestness, he, he already sees in their service, to have the, the full assurance of the hope to the end. He wants them to progress in their positives. Now, full assurance of hope, well, what's that? Well, it's, it's another way of saying faith. As we'll see in Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He wants them to keep growing in faith because growing in faith means they'll have assurance, confidence to the end, not worrying about whether they might be someone who won't finish, but confident, confident that they will. And to, to get there, we're to keep moving forward, progress. And so he gives us a, a glimpse of another old race video. This time, one we should imitate. Now, he's going to give us more of this big time in chapter 11, but here he just drops in Abraham. Here's an example of someone who made it. 6 verse 15. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, 
obtained the promise. That wonderful, but how? How did he make it? How did he, he, he keep with this pace setter and, and grow in his faith? Well, first he knew God will get us there. And secondly, that Christ is the way to get there. Firstly, God will get us there. If, if we're going to inherit the promises, then we need to know the certainty of the promise. If I'm going to live my life following Jesus, then I need to know God is going to get me there because I know I can't do it in my own strength. That's right, isn't it? And here the writer says, of course he will because he says so. Of course he will because he says so. God has promised. Now, back in the day, God promised to Abraham, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And not only that, he used an oath in the Genesis passage. He said, I swear by myself. So God both promised and made an oath. Now, I, I don't make oaths very often, but to, to make an oath, it's to, to confirm something. It, it makes what we say even stronger. You know, it's bringing a, a higher power into the equation to do something to us if we're lying. Now, the thing is, God can't swear by a higher power. So he swears by himself. But this just adds the certainty for us. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. After that warning, God wants to give us certainty. He wants to convince us that when he says, I'm going to bless you, when he says, I'm going to bring my people to the promised land, when he says, I'm going to save us, in Je- save you in Jesus, he really means it. God cannot lie. His word can never change. And he's sworn it by an oath. Now God cannot lie, so his oath can't change either. The, the promise and the oath, they can never be revoked. They can never be taken away. They can never be ripped up, forgotten about, burnt up, shoved in a black hole somewhere, never to be seen again. No. God has put a future hope before us and it is certain. He will bring us there. It's founded in the character of God himself. He cannot lie. If you want to know if you'll make it to the final destination, if you've seen worrying signs, well, don't get stuck there now. Look up. Look ahead. Look at your faithful, never lying God and cling to him. He will bring his people there. And Christ is the way to get there. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever off the order of Melchizedek. When we hear the warning, the temptation can be just to fix our eyes on the danger. We can be like rabbits in a headlight. Rather than moving, we just stare at the car heading towards us. But instead, we need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We know God will get us there, but it's all centered on Jesus. Because he's already got there. He's the forerunner. And so we keep our eyes on him, our pace setter. If we're going to finish, then we've, we've got to stick with him. The hope is certain because Jesus is the way. He's traveled the way. He gets us in with him. That's why all through this letter... 
At the beginning of our passage, the writer has been urging us to get stuck into knowing Jesus better. To move off from our ABCs and actually pursue Jesus. Because as we build on that foundation, as we dig deeper into the treasures of Jesus, we grow in confidence because he's the way. We start to take steps forward because Jesus has gone before us. That's what he's been doing, the writer, chapter after chapter. We've seen Jesus better than the angels. We've seen him better than Moses. We've seen him better than Aaron, better than the old priest. He's, he's been showing us Jesus more and more. In more and more technicolor, in richer glory. Why? Because having our eyes fixed on Jesus means we keep going and we keep going well. We start taking strong strides towards our inheritance. We progress with the positives. As we go deeper with Jesus, so our confidence and insurance slowly grows. And it it can be a virtuous circle as you spend time thinking about Jesus, considering him, talking to him at home, at church, at house group, at CU, reading books about him, reading his word. Not surprisingly, our faith begins to grow. We start to see his character, his qualities, as we see how he's, he's better than other hopes and dreams, as we see how others have gone before us in faith in him. What happens? We start to follow. We start to exercise our faith. We start to trust him more in difficult situations. We, we lean on him when we don't understand. We reach for him when the darkness and life closes in. In other words, we're maturing. We're eating solids. And so we're living like it. Our faith becomes more sturdy. Not because of anything in us. It's because we see how sturdy Christ is. Now, that doesn't mean it's all easy. Of course not. It's not you know, necessarily a straight line right now. There might be some worrying signs. But the answer is not just to say, oh, well, you know, I must be a failure. I'm going to fall. I'll just give up. I'm just on that downward slope. Definitely not. We progress with the positives because God's going to get us there. Because Jesus is the way. Because we stick with him. Let's let the gracious Savior lead us. He's come back for us. He's calling us to follow him. To find richer joys. To find assurance of hope in who he is. So we make it. So we finish. So we inherit those promises like the saints of old who kept going until the end. Amen.